Well, again, good morning. Again, it is good to be with you on this Lord's Day. As you know, we are walking through the Psalms. Uh, we call this the uh, Summer in the Psalms. And I have the privilege of looking at Psalm 92 on today. So if you would get your Bibles ready at Psalm 92. And if you would stand with me as we read God's word. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O, o Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At your works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Father, we thank you again for an opportunity to share your truth and your word. I pray that you would help us to hear that in which we need to hear this morning. I pray that you would help me speak clearly, read in a way that is understanding. May you get the glory. May I diminish that you may be lifted up. You know our faults and you know our failures. You know the sin that holds fast to us. And this morning we desire to know you afresh, to understand who you are and to see that clearly, to understand how great you are and how we are to praise you and worship you. So we ask this morning that you would give us a better understanding of who you are, that we will live a life that glorifies you in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Ken Cookendale said, giving thanks is more than an expression of gratitude. It is that, but truthfully, we can say thank you to someone and not really mean it. 
Gratitude is more than words communicate, communicated. It is a mindset. It is a keen awareness of our dependence upon the particular thing or person and then demonstrate that, um, that appreciation through charitable relationships. Thanksgiving is not really a holiday of indulgence and stuffing. It is a lifestyle that sacrifices and succumbs to the reality of grace, God's grace imparted to us in which we enjoy. The pastor gives three ways to help us better understand this. Number one, he says, it is a means of access. It is to take an inventory of our life. Do you understand who gives you the very breath in which you breathe? It means to acknowledge and to give credit. Who is the one that watched over you in your life? It means to appreciate and to repay. This repayment is a life of daily living to bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior. My proposition for this morning is the works of the Lord are great. Give him thanks because he is righteous. Each week we gather here to declare one thing to declare how great God is and the works given to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. It is the reason we come together to worship. As we look at this psalm, the psalmist, I believe, is having the same thing in mind. He wants his listeners to understand their God. This is the psalm that which was proclaimed on the Sabbath to help the hearers understand and to remember whom they serve and whom they are to worship and to give him thanks. I believe you and I need that same reminder. Who are we serving and who are we worshiping? Do we know who is in control? You see, it is easy for us to see the depravity of the world and wonder, where's God? Just in the past few weeks, we have seen the depravity of man and his evilness. See, I believe the psalmist understood that his people at that time felt the same way as they looked over the landscape of life and asked the same question. Where is God? The first thing that the psalmist desired is they direct us to the one who we are to look at. We are to look at this individual. Point number one, he says, he deserves our praise. In our passage, it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord 
to sing praises to, our, to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by the works at the works of your hand, I sing for joy. The psalmist says, it is good to give thanks, to sing praises to the Lord. He says, we are to declare these things. We are to declare something. So when we declare something, we are making it known formally, officially, explicitly, we are declaring God's steadfast love and his faithfulness in the morning and in the evening. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought about all the things that took place as you slept and yet God watched over you? Sometimes I think we don't think about that even though we might be sheltered in our homes, but yet there's things that are taking place around our homes that we do not know about, and God watches over us. He says we are to always declare the steadfast love of his faithfulness. Psalm 105 tells us, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Likewise, in Psalm 85, 7, tells us, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. What is this salvation? This salvation is safety, protection, as the Lord watches over us, his people. Psalm 89.5 says, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the Holy One. God's faithfulness and love are constant themes in the Psalms as well as in God's Word, the Bible. The psalmist tells us, his readers, to put these truths to music to help anchor these truths with music. Even today, we can remember things we learned as a child because they were tied to a song, a familiar tune. And even today, as you hear that tune, your mind goes back to those things that you remember. The psalmist says, he sings for joy as he sees the work of God's can, which makes him glad. When you look into the night sky, what comes to the mind when you see the clouds? Uh, not the clouds, but the stars. Have you ever been camping and it's pitch dark, and yet you see the stars and the abundance of those stars? Unfortunately, in the Bay Area, it's hard to get far enough away to actually see the beauty of that. Or have you ever stood on the cliffs of the Grand Canyon and looked down? But what do you see? 
if you've ever spent any time in Yosemite and you look at the valley and the waterfalls, what do you see? One of the places that we like to go, Lauren and I, as well as our family, is Bernie Falls. If you've ever been there, what do you see? Do you see the handiwork of God? Do you have eyes to see how great he is? I'm reminded of Genesis 1 and 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Likewise, in verses 6 and 8 through 8, it says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. David, likewise, in Psalms 19.1 said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiworks. Can you see his handiwork? Do you have eyes to see that which you need to see? But let's bring it a little closer to home. I want each of you to look at your hands and to look at your fingertips. Do you understand that your fingertips are unique and that there is not another person on this planet with your fingertips? God has made you unique. It is showing you how great our God is. One of the things Lauren and I like to do if we are out walking and spending time in the mall, not that we go to the mall much these days or anybody else these days, but when we did go to the mall or if we're somewhere really busy, we like to find a bench and just sit and watch the people walk back and forth. Have you ever considered how unique every individual is? From the shape of their noses, to their chin, to their faces, to the size of their shoes. Every individual is unique. They are different. They are showing you the uniqueness of God. But do we see that? Point number two, his works are great. The psalmist goes on to say, how great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicks sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, he says they are doomed to destruction forever. But he says, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish all evildoers shall be scattered. The psalmist again repeats how great are the works of the Lord that his thoughts 
are beyond man's understanding. He says, the stupid man, the fool, cannot understand this. In Isaiah 55, 79, it says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have companion, compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, we must understand that God is God, and we are not. David likewise said in Psalms 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They are abandoned. Uh, they do not... Um, they do a, a, a deeds. They are none who does good. Psalms 94, 8 says, Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He says, when will you be wise? I also think of Proverbs 1, 22. It says, How long, O simple, simple one, Will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Although there is evidence of God, they are blind and do not see it. Even the things in which we've just talked about, looking at the night sky and looking at our fingertips and looking at how Every individual is different. We can have eyes, but yet not see. I'm reminded of Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. See, God has not said, I don't want you to see me. He wants you to see him, but do we have eyes to see him? Unfortunately, we see this blindness today and this confusion in our lives today. We hear things such as, when does it become actually a baby in the womb? Or is it just a blob of tissues? We've seen this blindness today as we believe that there is more than two genders today. We see this blindness likewise when it comes to marriage. Is marriage really only between a man and a woman? 
Why can't it be between two men and two women? But see, we would like to call that marriage. But is it according to God's truth and according to his word? So my question to you today is this. Do you have spiritual eyes today? Or are you spiritually blinded today? Has the world shaped your thinking on some of these issues I just mentioned? You see, the psalmist does not want us to be foolish in our understanding like the stupid fool. We can wrongly believe God does not see these individuals, but that would be a false belief. They seem to be a life, they seem to have a life of success. Without a care in the world, we see them flourishing, but forget that they are doomed for destruction, forever. Their glory days are only for a short season. Then comes destruction. They are enemies of God, and they are doomed forever unless they repent of their sins. But God in his righteousness is forever, the psalmist says. has emphasized this fact in verses 9 as he repeats the phrase, for behold, two times. The enemies of God, he says, are doomed. The psalmist says they shall be scattered. They will be removed. It is easy at, at times to think, that those who are evil and they are flourishing, that they are untouchable. Sometimes we think because they are rich and powerful that they can get away with anything. But the, but the psalmist says and reminds us that this is not true. There is only one who is forever. The psalmist wants us to focus on that individual. He is eternal. In our world, we have seen many men and women who have for a season caused much harm and destruction to others. Even today, we see the harm caused by a dictator against another nation trying to wipe them out. Although he may seem untouchable to us, he will one day stand before the Eternal One and give an account of all the things in which he has done. You and I would like that to be sooner than later. But the time frame is God's and not ours. But here's the question with that. Are you okay with that? It is God's timing and not our timing. But we understand that God will do. He will judge. And he will make a right decision. 
In the first half of this psalm, the psalmist reminds us to whom we are to give thanks and why. And then he tells us that the stupid and the fool cannot understand this truth. But he gives us a transition with the word but to show his readers and us a different person who is righteous. Point number three, he, God, exalts the righteous. The psalmist goes on to say, but you have exalted my form like that of a wild ox, have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My eyes have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grows like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. The psalmist wants his readers to understand that it is God who exalts the righteous and gives them strength. The wild ox is a picture of strength. When God, when God exalts you, it is no small matter. It may cause fear and anxiety to others. I'm reminded of Balak. When the children of Israel was walking through his territory, and he was afraid, and he was very, very frightened. And so he called Balaam and asked Balaam to curse the children of Israel. But Balaam says, I will not say anything unless what my Lord says to say. And so in his second oracle, in, in, in Numbers 22, I'm sorry, 23, 22, Balaam says that God brought them out of Egypt like the horn of a wild ox. Likewise, we see in Numbers 24.8, in Balaam's third oracle, spoken by God through him to Balak, says, God brings him out of Egypt on his, and is for him like, a wild, like, like the horn of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with the horns, with the arrow. You see, it was not the strength of the children of Israel, but it was God who brought, him, brought them out of Egypt. It was the strength of our Savior, that Balak was fearing. You see, we can make this mistake believing it's all about us. We can strive to get ahead, working long hours to make ourselves known. However, it is God who gives us favor and ability to succeed. The psalmist likewise says, it is God who anoints. David says in Psalm 23, 5, in fact, you probably know this verse, 
He says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Likewise, when God called Aaron to be his spokesman, he likewise was anointed with oil. And he tells Moses in Exodus 29, 7, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and we know him as our Lord and Savior, we too have been anointed. And I want you to think about 1 John 2, 27. This is what John says. But the anointing you receive from Christ abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true. And it is no lie. Just as it has taught you, he says, abide in him. You see, our anointing comes from the blood of Christ on the cross as his children bearing your sin as well as my own. And because of that, we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. 1 Peter 2, verses 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body and on the tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. You see, our righteousness is in the finished work of Christ. The psalmist says he was able to see the downfall of his enemies, the hear of their destruction. You see, it was God who allowed him to see this. It was God who made that able to experience that. But you know what? That may not be us. We may not see the downfall of our enemies. And if we're honest, we would say, I want to see that. I want to hear of their destruction. In fact, we would even say, can I help to see that? You see, you may have been wrongly accused by someone who hurt you deeply. You may have been taken advantage of by someone and it's caused you much pain. Maybe in this pandemic, it has caused you great harm in your business when the governor shut down everything. Well, almost everything. Your business, but not other businesses. And that has caused you to be angry. And you would like revenge. But let me remind you of Romans 12, 19. It says, Beloved, 
Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But I wonder, are you okay with that? To let God in his timing pour out his vengeance when he is ready to do so. Because sometimes that person who has hurt you, you may see them more often than you would like. You might pass him a few times, or them a few times, more than you want to. And your mind goes back to how they hurt you, how they have caused harm to you. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. Point number four, he alone is righteous. Looking back at our passage, starting at verse 12, the psalmist begins to describe the righteous and the righteousness, what that looks like. He says the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grows like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord he says they flourish like the courts. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. He says to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You see, the contrast is very clear. He says that the righteous are nothing like the fool or the stupid. When he describes the, the, um, the stupid and the fool, he says they are like grass that is fleeting. The righteous man is solidly planted. He is stable. He is planted in the house of his Lord and he flourishes even in old age. There's another passage or another chapter very similar to this one, and it is in Psalm 1. It is very similar, and it gives you a very similar picture of the righteous and the unrighteous. This is what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, he says, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, he says, will perish. 
like our passage of Psalm 92 in Psalm 1. The, the psalmist wants to make it very clear that there is a difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. One is fleeting and one will perish, but the other is firmly planted and bears fruit, even though they are old. And I hope that's encouraging to you. Some of us are getting up in age, and guess what? We are still viable individuals. And I like how Dennis says, you may not have any children because you might have done that already. But yet, guess what? Others need your fellowship. Others need you to hang around them. Others need your wisdom because you've walked through things that they are now walking through. And so they need your encouragement. So if you're not going to family camp, I would encourage you to go. Hang around some of the younger ones. Give them the encouragement. You can still produce fruit, although you are old. As we started Psalm 92, the psalmist started with a declaration about his Lord. He again finished this psalm with a declaration about his Lord. He says, to declare that the Lord is upright. He says, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. He is upright, meaning that he always does what is right. He never does anything wrong. He is his rock, meaning that he is always consistent, stable, unshakable, cannot be moved, can be depended on. And there is no unrighteousness, unrighteousness in him. There is no sin or selfishness in him. Because he is God and he is righteous. We understand that he will judge us all according to our deeds that we do here in this world. And his judgment will be fair and righteous. He says there is a difference between the foolish and the righteous. And the difference is the work of Christ. And I pray you understand that today, that it's Christ that we depend on. It is not our righteousness because we have no righteousness. We're only righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. I have just a few closing thoughts that I want you to ponder and hope you have been pondering as we've um, shared time together. How are you doing when it comes to giving thanks to your Lord? Is this a sometime thing for you? Or is it a constant thing for you? 
Again, you're sitting here in this room today and God watched over you as you slept. Nothing happened to you. In fact, you probably drove here and nothing happened to you on the road here. One of the things Lauren and I do consistently every morning as I leave for work and we spend time in prayer before we leave or I leave the house. And part of my prayer is always that, Lord, if it be your will, that you would bring me home again. Because I know when I leave the house, I could not come back home that day. There's so many things that could happen from my house to work or from work back to home. Do you give thanks to the Lord? How are you doing when it comes to declaring your God of whom you serve? Do you speak of his majesty? Do you speak of how great he is? Are you willing to share that with others? Declaring how great God is. And last, how are you doing when it comes to daily living? Are you living as the stupid fool or the righteous? I pray today that you would understand if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called you to be righteous. Not perfect but striving to be the person he has called you to be each and every day of your life. In every arena, in every challenge, in every circumstance, he has called you to be righteous, that others will see him and bring glory to him. I'm going to close with Psalm 100. As I speak, I think it speaks well of what we have spoken of today. The psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. He says, know that the Lord, he is good. He is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts in praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfastness and love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Father, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you again for your word and the encouragement of your word and the challenge of your word that we would understand that we are called to give you thanks and praise, to worship you, to acknowledge how great you are and be able to share that and declare that with others. I pray that you give us boldness that we would not be ashamed to share that truth with others. 
But Father, I also pray for those who do not know you today. They have nothing to declare as they do not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today that you would prick their hearts and challenge them in their thinking and draw them to yourself, that they too would surrender their lives to you and live for you. Thank you again for your son and what he has done on our behalf, because we understand we have no righteousness of our own. The righteousness that we enjoy and experience is only because of what Christ has done. May we likewise understand and be humbled by that truth, that we will give you praise and honor for who you are, that we would have eyes to see the things in which we need to see, and that we will see how great you truly are. So I thank you for your love for us. I thank you again for an opportunity to share the truth of your word this morning. May you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.